All right, guys. Well, welcome to New Life. My name's Jeff. That's a pretty intense song. Anybody agree? Okay. All right. It was just kind of, it was like a little long and you were kind of like getting too comfortable there. You guys need, you guys need some free espresso or something like that? I get it. I get it. Well, I want to welcome you here to our Carney campus, our North Platte campus, and our Ogallala campus. And for those of you that two inches of snow kept you home, we want to welcome you as well. All right? I get it, man. Some cars low riding, you know, you can't get out. You know, it's, it's not possible. Two inches of snow, you just can't do it. Uh, but anyways, I want to welcome you guys. Thanks for being here with us. You're, you're here for one of our services in Playlist. In Playlist, we're looking at worship songs uh, that are written by modern-day psalmists, modern-day poets, if you will. And they're still writing the very heart of God so that we can take those songs and we can use them and worship God. But what we found is that there's a great disconnect in worship. There's been a disconnect in worship for the last 100 plus years, actually. Um, it's not something that's new. It's something that's always been around. It's been around when all we had was hymn books, and it's now here when all we have is off-the-wall songs, okay? So it's, it's here. And the disconnect is this, that we sing songs, but we don't understand where they're connected to in Scripture. We, they sound good. They, they, they sound like they're biblical, okay? Uh, but we're wondering, like, where do they connect the Scripture? And what we've found for believers is that when we take worship songs that are written from the heart of modern-day psalmists, like I said, they're writing God's heart for us to proclaim and sing today, and we take that and we connect it to the foundation of Scripture, all of a sudden your worship comes alive. Your worship comes alive. See, guys, what I want you to know is this. Singing songs is just singing songs. That's all it is. But worship is proclaiming the truth and the power of who God is. And when you can take a song and you can anchor it back into Scripture, all of a sudden when you sing those words, they have meaning, they have power, and they have life. That's what we're going to do today with this song, Sea of Victory. There's a lot of Scripture in this song. I think you're going to be blown away at one of the stories that is the the backbone, if you will, uh, of this song. But before we get into that, I just know this. Talking about victories, everybody likes to be a part of a winning team. How many of you guys like to be a part of winning teams? Yeah. Okay. You know, I've never met, I've never met anybody that was like, hey, 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 pick me. I want to be on the losing team. I've never met anybody that wanted to be on the losing team. All I've ever met is people that want to be on teams that have victories, teams that win. So what I want you to do right now with me is I want you to think with me about your favorite sports team. I got it. Some of you guys are not sports people at all. I understand that. Just bear with me. Bear with me. Think about your favorite sports player. If you, have, if you don't like sports and you're a grandparent and you got a, you got a grandchild that plays sports, you better like sports. Okay? All right. So think with me about your favorite sports team. Then I want you to think with me about your favorite sports team's victory. What was the victory that your favorite team had? Was it winning the championship? Was it like a big come-from-behind game that they, they just overtook and they just completely destroyed this other team? But I, I just bet you this, that somewhere in the midst of your favorite team and your favorite team's victory, something had to do with a come-from-behind win. We love a come-from-behind win. We, we love the underdog that wins. We just like that story. It makes for good movies. Okay, it makes for great sports events. When the team is not supposed to win and they win, 
right? When they start out the season and they're not supposed to do anything, and then at the end, they're the top dogs standing there holding the trophy. So for me, that's the St. Louis Blues, season 2018-2019. It's fresh, and it's alive, and it's, it's new for me, and it has everything to do with hockey. So again, you're just going to have to like, have patience with me and just love me. So just say, would you just say this with me? Say, I love my pastor, even though he likes hockey. Okay. All right. So, so the, team, the team, right, was, was supposed to be a good team, but... Midway through the season, January 3rd, they were in last place of last place of the entire, the entire NHL. Last place. And they dug from that hole. They kept digging their way out, and they got into the playoffs, and eventually they ended up playing for the Stanley Cup, which is the, the, top, you know, the top dog play you know, for the NHL. And they get all the way to Game 7. It goes a full Game 7, best of 7. They get into Game 7 to win for the very first time. The complete underdog comes all the way back and holds the trophy, and it was exciting. I mean, in my house, there was like cheering and yelling and like excitement. It was awesome. We, we had a blast that day when the team won, and it's the first time they ever won in the history of them being in the league. 52 years they were in the league before they ever held the championship. We love come-from-behind stories. We love them. Did you realize, though, that the life of every Christian is a come-from-behind victory? That's, the, that's your life. Your story, your personal story, if you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, your personal story is a come-from-behind victory. So think about it with me. Right? You start out as what? You start out in sin. You start out separated from God. You start out you know, in disobedience to God. You, you have an enemy who is against you, who keeps forming weapons against you to take you down Left and right, and you know what I'm talking about. You've experienced the weapons, right? You've, you live on a planet that's full of evil. We run into hardships and difficulties all the time, but yet we are saved by the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. We actually overcome because of his amazing love, grace, and forgiveness, it's a complete come-from-behind victory story. Every single one of you who have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ have a story that sounds just like that. It reminds me, really, of what verse 1 in our song really kind of sings. Take a look at what verse 1 in our song that we're going to sing at the end of my sermon today. It says, the weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. Isn't that good news or what? When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. That's great news. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. I mean, did you realize that about God? Have you ever thought about the fact that all God knows how to do is triumph? All he knows, all he knows is victory? All he knows is winning? Did you realize that? Did you even understand that? Did you understand that when weapons of the enemy are formed against you, they don't end up prospering? Because God always knows the win. God never fails. That when the darkness seems like it's caving in around you, it doesn't prevail. Why? Because Christ is the victor. He is the one who wins. This verse gives us great hope. When you sing this verse, your heart should be filled with hope. Your heart, your heart should be filled with truth as you proclaim the hope that we have in Christ. This verse reminds us, guys, 
that when you follow Jesus faithfully, what you're getting ready to experience in life is the faithful triumph of Jesus Christ. You will experience God who never fails. That's good news. Would you just turn to somebody next to you and just say, that's good news? Come on, just join with me right now. That's good news. Verse 2 of the song even gives us more of this good news. Take a look at it. It says this, there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Isn't that alone enough? There's power in the mighty name of Jesus. Every war he wages, he will win. So because of that, look what I'm going to do. I'm not backing down from any giant because I know how the story ends. When I was preparing this message, I just felt when I got to this point that some of you needed to hear these very words today. That some of you need to hear this. That there are giants that seem so big that they're going to conquer you right now. That there are weapons that it feels like the enemy has formed against you that are almost too much for you to bear. But what you needed to hear was that there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God knows is triumph. For some of you today, that's what you needed to hear. Whatever you're facing seems like it's so big that you're not going to overcome it. And today, all you really need to grab a hold of was there's power in the mighty name of Jesus. And church, I don't know what you're facing, but I'll tell you this. When you run to the power that's found in the mighty name of Jesus, you find the victor. You find the one who triumphs. That's what Jesus said about himself in John 16. He said these words. He goes, look, guys, here on this earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows. It's guaranteed for all of us. We're going to face giants. Darkness is going to come in. Weapons are going to be formed against us. But take heart because I, Jesus, I've overcome the world. I've overcome it already. Every battle I start, I win. I am triumphant. Right? I am the victor. So some of you guys needed to hear today that the weapon may be formed. It's true. The weapons are formed. But they aren't going to prosper against you. So here's my, here's my challenge to you. Because of who Jesus is, don't back down from your giants and the weapons formed against you. Don't back down from them. We're backing down from too many giants. We're backing down from too many battles. We're walking away from them because we've forgotten who stands with us. Greater is he, Jesus, than he who is in the world. Jesus is the triumph, guys. That's all Jesus knows is winning. Read the rest of the story. Get to the end of Revelation and see for yourself. I know how the story ends. Jesus wins. So it doesn't matter what you're facing. It doesn't matter what the giant or the weapon is. The end of the story, I already know what it is, so I'm not backing down. I'm not looking for a fight either, by the way. I think that's wrong. But when the fight comes to me, I know this. I know who stands with me. And he's the triumph. He's the victor. I've got a great story about this. It's found in the Old Testament in a book called Second Chronicles. Now, if you've got your YouVersion app on your phone or on a tablet or something like that with you today, then I put this entire passage of Scripture is there for you. I gave you more than what I'm even going to look at, so you're just going to have to scan through Second Chronicles chapter 20 with me. And you're just going to have to follow along. Otherwise, you can look at the scripture as we put it on the screen. But let me give you the backstory here. Okay? Um, we've got the Israelites. They're experiencing these different kings. Some of these kings honor God. Some of these kings don't honor God. 
some of these kings are kind of wishy-washy, and they go a little bit back and forth. At this current moment, they have a king called King Jehoshaphat, okay? This guy is a kind of on-and-off-again king. It seems like he kind of gets distracted at times. He kind of loses his focus of what it means to really stay in an attitude of honoring God and leading the people. He'll, he'll do some really great things, and then he'll make some really foolish decisions, and he kind of seems to go back and forth. But at this particular moment, it, the, the Bible indicates that maybe his heart is at a place where he is trying to honor God, he's trying to worship God, he's trying to put God first for the people. And at that very moment, the Bible says that the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meunites, they declare war against King Jehoshaphat. you got three different armies that are all unifying together to come in against King Jehoshaphat and to attack God's people. So this is, this is a unique situation. I think if any of us were king, how would you respond, right? What would you do? Well, you might, you might try to think like, well, how big is our army? How big is their army? You know, what do I know about these guys? I mean, how brutal are these guys? And in King Jehoshaphat, as a leader, as he's trying to assess the situation, here's what the Bible says his first action, his first thoughts are. Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news. It just tells you right there. He's a man at this moment who's trying to honor God, but this giant that he's going to face, this weapon that's coming against him, this enemy that's been formed, you know, that's trying to prosper against him, his first response is one of, I'm terrified and I'm full of fear, although he's a godly man. So I think for you today, no matter what you're facing, if your first response is one of fear, I just want to let you know today that even, even some of God's greatest leaders have responded first out of fear. And that fear isn't the end, but it definitely is a place where it seems like people tend to go when the giants come. And if that's where you've gone, don't beat yourself up for that. Just know this, that's not where it ends. Just know this. That's not where God intended for you to end. Okay, so that's where you start, but that's not where King Jehoshaphat finished. Look at the rest of the verse. The rest of the verse three, it says, Jehoshaphat, he begged the Lord for guidance. So he went to an attitude of prayer, but then he also does this. He also ordered everyone in Judah, the entire country, to begin doing what? Fasting. To make a sacrifice, to start fasting and to start going to prayer. Our first move when we face the giants, when we need a victory, guys, our first move is to press past the fear and go and start seeking the guidance of the Lord. That's your first move. That's your first act is to jump to that place and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seek God and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after him. And then if you've got a family, ask the family to go with you. Right? If you've got a business and you've got people that are working with you that are faith-filled, ask them to pray with you as well. And that's exactly what the king does. And because he gets the entire people fasting and praying, seeking God for what God wants to do, here's what happens in verse 15. Do not be afraid. God speaks to the people. Because they're fasting and they're praying. They're seeking him. Seekers find God, by the way. They find God, and God says, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but it's what? God's. Guys, that sounds just like the chorus of this song, Sea of Victory. 
See a victory says this in the chorus. I'm going to see a victory for the battle belongs to you, Lord. God spoke this to the people. So when we get to the chorus of this song and we're singing it, what you're doing is you're proclaiming a truth that God spoke out of his own lips for a people that I believe God's still speaking for his people today. But I want you to notice something that God said, guys, because I think it could go unnoticed. What did God call the army that Jehoshaphat was so terrified about? What did God call that army? Do you remember? He actually called it a mighty army. I think that's interesting. No matter what giant or weapon you're facing today, God's not asking you to lie about it and to diminish it. God's not even asking you to like, you know, just pretend that it's not as big as what you think it is. God's not asking you to deceive yourself in the midst of this world that we live in and these weapons that are formed against us. God is the one who referred to the army as a mighty army. He's the one who did that. That wasn't Jehoshaphat's words, that was God's words. God's not asking you to lie about things. What God is asking you to do is this. You might be facing a giant weapon formed against you, but God wants you to see through it, and he wants, to see, he wants you to see that he is bigger. That's what he's wanting you to see. That's what he loved about Jehoshaphat's heart. I'm terrified, but I'm moving to you, God, for guidance. You're bigger. There's something about you that I'm going to find greater fulfillment in. God continued on with his instructions to them in the very next verse, 16 and 17. God says to them, look, here's what I want you guys to do. Tomorrow, okay, so you're going to, you're going to sleep on this problem. It's not going to be solved immediately. Tomorrow, what I want you to do is I want you to march out against this enemy. Then you will not even need to fight, okay? But take your positions on the battlefield, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. God says to them, go, go march out there. Get all dressed up for battle. Have your swords, have your spears, have your bows and arrows, have your slingshots and your rocks. I want you to march out there. I want you to look official. I want you to get to the battlefield. And I want you to stand there. I don't want any idiot shooting an arrow. I'm getting all excited about this. Just stand there and be still. Don't be taunting the enemy. He didn't ask them to make a noise. He didn't ask them to shout at the enemy. He didn't ask them to even tell them, hey, today, my God's going to kill you. You know some of them wanted to do it, though. He didn't say, you know, raise a spear, raise a sword. He didn't say anything. He just said, look your best, go out there, stand still, and I'm going to show you something that's going to blow your mind away. You know what we like to do when we're facing our giants? We like to take action now. Waiting till tomorrow? That's not good enough for us. God, you don't understand the pain I'm in right now. Like, you evidently don't understand the weight I'm under right now. Like, I want this taken care of now. Like, before I go to bed, I want the giant gone. God asks for two things. Just two simple things. He asks for patience and obedience. When you're facing these weapons that get formed against us, and you want to see a victory, you got to respond like God asks for us to respond. Patience and obedience. Wait 
and see. Wait and see. There's this, like, faith happens when you have to wait and see. Faith doesn't always get built when it's just you engaging in, against the weapon, engaging against the darkness, engaging against the enemy. Little faith gets built when it's you engaging. Big faith gets built when you have to go stand there and go, I don't get to even swing the sword. I hope God does something. What happens if they charge us? And what would have happened if they charged them? What would have happened? What would you have done? Forget God, man. Whoa, get the sword, right? Like, I'm not going down here. This is going to be the worst story ever. God's people destroyed. They don't even raise a sword. That's going to be a bad headline in the Jerusalem news. And that's what we do, though. Like, we don't, we're not very good at stand, wait, and see. Wait and see. Wait and see. Wait and see is where faith gets built inside of you. These people, they did an awesome job, though. Here's how they responded with great wisdom, humility, and faith. Look what they did. Very next verse is 18. It says that the, then King Jehoshaphat, he bowed low with his face to the ground after God gives him these instructions, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem did the very same thing, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites from the clans of Kohath and Korah, they stood to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with what? Say it with me and say it like the scripture says it. They did what? With a very... <coughs> that was fun, wasn't it? This is what's interesting. What does the king do after God gives him the instructions? Does he argue with God? Does he go, this is the craziest thing I've ever heard you say before? This is a ludicrous plan. You know that this plan's never won a war before God. You know that, right? No, what he does is he worships God. What does the people do once the leader goes to worship? The people go to worship. What do the people do as they follow the leader to worship? They take it to the next level, and they even start shouting to the Lord. Not out of anger, but out of proclamation. Our God is great. Dads. Moms, leaders of the home, when you face giants, when you face the darkness, managers, business owners, right, supervisors, when you're facing difficulties, watch this, the people are going to take their cue off of you. And the people will always take their cue off of you and take it to the next level. So if you go negative, they go really negative. If you go positive, they tend to go even more positive. And so the leader worships God and he bows down and the people bow down and then some of them that are so excited start shouting to God. I love it. I love it. Guys, today we worship an incredible God who has a victory for you and for me. But here's the powerful takeaway. The first act of great faith is to praise God for victories before they ever happen. That's what they were doing there was still an enemy out there that wanted to kill them. And what do they do? They praise God for the victory before it ever happens. So watch this. What does faith do? Faith moves into praise. What does fear do? Fear moves into worry. When faith is activated against whatever giant you're facing, whatever problem you come up against, right, whatever darkness that seems to come in on top of you, when faith is activated, it tends to move to praise, and they're praising God for a victory. I see a victory before the victory ever happens. But if you let fear rule you, it spirals downward into worry. 
And all I see is problems. So what is the heart that God wants us to have in this sea of victory attitude? He wants us to see his wins. He wants us to see the fact that he can win and that he will triumph even when we can't figure it all out before it happens. That's incredible faith. You know what is not faith? Oh, I knew God could do that. But you worried all the way through it. You complained all the way through it. And then when he won, you turned around and went, I knew he could. That's not faith. Faith is, I know he can. And I'm going to trust him through the battle. So watch what the people do the very next day. In verse 21, it said the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. Really? Is that what God asked him to do? No. The king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. We're getting ready to march into battle. We're just leaving the city to march all the way to the battlegrounds. Remember what God said when they get to the battlegrounds, what are they supposed to do? Sing? No, they're supposed to stand and be still. Basically be quiet. And instead, these guys, right off the bat, go... I don't know if we can be quiet that long. We're going to have to sing before we get there. And so they, they actually do this. They actually start praising God along the way, although God doesn't even ask them to do it. And God sees their faith. Look at this. God sees their faith, and it moves God's heart in such a way that they, they see a victory that's even different than what they thought they were going to see. They thought they were going to march all the way to the battlefield, get to the battlefield, stand there, stoically with their spears like this and their swords in their hand and just stand there still and they're going to watch God do something. But instead, God does something that blows their mind away. God does something he doesn't even say to them that he would do. Although I will say to you, God never said how he's going to win the war. He just said, stand still and I'm going to do something. But as they worshiped him, watch what happens. At the very moment they began to sing. Where are they at when they're singing? At the battlefield? They're back at the city, just leaving the city. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. They're a long ways away. They're just singing. They decided, you know what we should do today? We should spend some devotion time and just worshiping God while we walk along. They're walking along, singers are going before them, God's being praised, and God's doing something they never imagined possible. He's doing what the bridge of the song says. He's doing this. Take a look at the bridge of the song. The bridge of the song. <laughs> that could be my bad, too, so who knows? He's doing this. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. That's what God's doing while they're singing. So let me just ask you this. What can God do while you're here for an hour and five minutes worshiping God? Incredible things. Never diminish what we're getting ready to do when we worship God. Because when we see God, God moves in a powerful, powerful way, guys. So now, Craig, my bad, let's go back to verse 24. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, 
All they saw were dead bodies laying on the ground. As far as they could see, not a single one of the enemy had escaped. I'm talking about what the enemy meant for evil, God turning it for good. It took them three whole days for the entire army to pick up all of the plunder, meaning everything that, was, that had value and worth from the battlefield, from all the dead soldiers, it took them three days. What the enemy meant for evil that started out with Joseph going, I'm terrified, but I'm going to worship God, that moved to be still and watch God, that caused the heart of people to have faith to start worshiping God, that while they worshiped God, God destroyed their enemy, that while they got there, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. See a victory that the battle belongs to the Lord? You better believe it. Like three days it took them to pick up all of the plunder. I'm just going to say this to you. That if God did this once for his people, he can do it again. He can do it in your life today. He can do it no matter what you're facing. That if God did it once, in fact, he, God's word's already filled with the fact that he did it more than once. But if he could do that once, what could happen while we worship him? As we sing and we declare the power of who God is, we declare it. According to his word, I'll see a victory. The battle belongs to the Lord. The weapon might be formed, but it will not prosper. The darkness might come in, but it will not, it will not take me down, right? Like when we sing that, what in the world can God do? Just be reminded of what Romans says about this. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God. We know this. Guys, the greatest example of God taking what the enemy meant for evil and turning it for good, I would suggest to you, is the resurrection of Christ. It's what the enemy meant for evil, that God turned it for good. It's because of the resurrection of Christ that we can even preach a message like this. It's because of the resurrection of Christ that we can even declare a chorus of a song that says, I'm going to see a victory, for the battle belongs to you, Lord. Only because of the resurrection of Christ, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. So church, what are you facing today? What's the battle that you're facing? What's the darkness that you're facing In internally, inside of you, personally? Not always externally. What's, what's the weapon that keeps being formed against you that keeps wanting to take you out of the game? What's the darkness that the enemy keeps trying to send your way to prevail against you? What is it? Because what I'm saying to you today is this. Because of the resurrection of Christ, what the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. Because of that authority and that power, there's power in the name of Jesus today. There's power in the name of Jesus. And if you'll bring your battle, you'll bring your darkness, you'll bring your weapon to him, and you will worship him today, that while we worship him today, I believe that God's going to start working a victory in some of your lives. Just while we worship him today. So let your faith be activated. While they worshiped, God struck down their enemy. While we worship, may God strike down your enemy. Whether he's at work inside of here, he's at work inside of here, or he's at work inside of your family, or he's at work inside of your business, or he's at work inside of one of your children, no matter where he's at work, when we praise him and we lift up his name today, may God strike down your enemy. He did it in the Old Testament for King Jehoshaphat and his people, and he can do it for you again today. Amen? So let's stand and let's sing. Let's sing this song together with us. Let's pray. Come on.
Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. We trust you that you work all things for the good of those who love you. That no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And that because you overcame death, hell, and the grave, and there's a resurrection of a risen Savior, Jesus, who sits at your right hand, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I believe today that you can conquer, you can conquer once again weapons that are formed against us and darkness that, keep, that creeps in against us and giants that seem to prevail and try to attack us. That, Lord, today you can overcome those battles inside of us, those weapons that are trying to sinfully take us down, you can overcome those. Those weapons against marriages, you can overcome them right now. Those giants and darkness that creeps in even into our mental capacity of depression, you can overcome it in Jesus' name. Lord, you can overcome the sickness that seems like a giant to keep holding us back. You can overcome it in Jesus' name. The financial burden and struggle, this, this darkness that keeps creeping in on a business, you can overcome it in Jesus' name. Or on a family, in Jesus' name. So there's power in the name of Jesus. So Lord, here's the, here's, the, here's the heart that you're looking for, though. The heart you're looking for is the heart of a believer that will declare before the battle's ever won, I see a victory. The battle's not mine. The battle is yours. My battle is to keep worshiping you, God. My battle is to keep you first. It's your battle to destroy my enemy. So Lord, would you give this congregation great faith here in North Platte and Ogallala at homes right now. Give them great faith Lord, to believe you for a victory before they ever see it. In Jesus' name. And may there be freedom in this house. And everybody said... Amen.